Hi guys, welcome back to the Boise Buys podcast. This is episode three. Welcome back to all the Boises and Girlsies. Thank you for listening to my second podcast about the sports cards. If you haven't, check it out. You'll learn some stuff, hopefully. And in this one, I'm going to be answering some questions. I'll put up on my Instagram. Send me some questions and I'll answer them. So let's get into it. The first one I got is, I think it's from Jack. He said, what's one type of product you think will always hold value? There's two, I'm going to say. One of them is classic boxed retro games. So your Zeldas, your Marios, your Pokemons. So Zeldas on anything from the the NES, Nintendo Entertainment System, up to, I'd say, maybe Game Boy. If you get any of them in the box, they're only rising in price, as well as the Marios. And the Pokemon games from Game Boy, yeah, just the Game Boy ones, I'd say. If you get them boxed, they're only increasing in price at the moment because they've been high in price since I started reselling and over the years have only increased, especially with the Pokemon hype at the moment. But I can't imagine them going down in the future. And if you can get them sealed, that's just coinage, absolute coin. People love a sealed game and especially now you can get them graded. People were sending them off to, I think, VGC, I think that's what it's called, Video Game Company, or, I don't know, VGGC. I could be completely wrong there, but you can get them graded, and that's just another thing. It's like with the cards. If you get them graded, they're worth a lot more money. If you get games graded, they're worth a lot more money. One, because it protects them. Two, because it just makes them more valuable. And three, they just look sick. (laughs) So, like, if you can pick up like a Pokemon sealed game for, on Game Boy, it'll cost you quite a lot, or a Mario or a Zelda. If you've got money to invest in it, I'd say that's the kind of stuff you need to be picking up. And also, a product that never goes down in price is Lego, sealed Lego. So say I started investing in Lego a couple of years ago, and I went to Sainsbury's, and I saw they had Scooby-Doo Lego, and they had it for like £8 a set, something like that. That was a retail price. So I brought it, I whacked it, up in my wardrobe for a year, got it down the next year, and it was worth 55 quid. It's because they'd stopped making it. When they stopped making Lego, the price soars. So I'd say Lego investing is a very smart way. As long as you look at what what's going to be retired, you can usually see on the box as well if you're buying it in store, if it says like the year before or even that year. It depends how long you want to put it away for. I think that's a, definitely a solid thing you can do. Lego investing is crazy. There's people that do it on a large scale and they've got like lofts full when they sell it off like every year. Like once something hits three or four years old, they'll sell it. Or even just when the price increases to a, to an amount they think is worth it. But I've, I also think, I've been looking into, I don't know if it's right yet, but I've been looking into Monopoly investing. Because Monopolies, they bring out like special edition ones like every year or more than every year. So you get a Thunderbirds Monopoly, a different Star Wars one for every film. You'll get like a special edition, I don't know, like Avengers one. And I feel like if you buy them at a right price, like 20, 30 quid, because they usually put them on clearance before they discontinue them, and you put them in your loft, if you're selling on Amazon and you can sell them on Amazon, even on eBay to be fair, you're looking at good money in the future. Like there was a SpongeBob one when I first started. That was in Toys R Us when that was about. That's how long ago it was. And um, that was 15 quid in Toys R Us. I used to see it there all the time. And that now on Amazon is like £80, £85, pound, the last time I checked. But yeah, I need to do some more research into that. So 
if you're interested, do some research as well, because that could be a good way to make some money. Yes, and I also think if you can get the original sealed, like, pirate ships of Lego, they're not going down in price. I'm sure they'll bring out a service where you can grade them in the future as well, and then they'll just be crazy prices. So that's what I think will hold the value and never go down. Next thing, someone asked, what was the toughest item you had to let go of, as in sell? So the toughest stuff for me to sell is anything Star Wars, because my dad collects it. So whenever I get anything Star Wars, I'll say to him first, I'm like, do you want this? And he's like, he's usually like, nah, nah, you sell it. But if it's something vintage, because he collects the vintage Star Wars figures, like, I'll just give it to him. Doesn't matter what I've paid for it. I'll just give it to him because it's for his collection. So if I find something modern, I'm like, hmm, might have to just quickly move that on because otherwise he'll say he don't want it, but I know he does want it. And I end up giving it to him. So it's kind of, you know... It's good and it's bad. And also the other item which has been toughest for me to let go is a blue Nintendo 64 crystal one. I think it's from the Fantastic range. I talked about it in my first episode. I got it in a uh, retro games uh, like bundle or lot that I brought from someone. I paid like, I think it was 450 quid or something like that. And I've made like a grand or 1500 quid on a lot and I've got that left over. And it's worth, I don't know, two to three hundred quid. But it's just one of them items where it reminds me of the crazy buy I made and all the profit I made. So it's hard for me to let go. I still haven't listed it. I've had it for about three years. So that's probably the hardest item that it's been for me to let go of. My greatest profit, someone said, what is the greatest profit you've made on a buy and also on a single item? So the best profit I made on a buy was, as I said in the first um the first episode, I brought a Lego bulk buy, paid like £900 and I made like 10, 10 grand, something like that on it. 10 grand profit. Yeah, so that was a crazy one. I got it off eBay. Someone listed it. Someone originally listed a Lego set for 30 quid, but it was also in the description. It said it was like, I was like, like 90 sets of it and I got it for 30 quid. And then I got talking to him and a bit of perseverance for a year. And then finally... Got the whole lot, like, I don't know how many sets it was, for 900 quid. And I sold it, uh, not the Christmas gone, but the one before, for like 10 grand profit. So that was a crazy one. And my greatest profit on an item is, I want to say, it's either, this is the biggest amount I've sold something for. I brought a game called Michigan Report from Hell for the PS2, sealed. I brought a collection of sealed PS2 games for 750 quid. And I made more than that on the I think I doubled up on the on all the other games so I made like 700 quid profit and then I had this game left which owed me about 50 quid from the bundle and I sold it for 650 quid in October I think it was so a sealed Michigan report from hell the English version because I believe it got banned that sold for 650 quid from 50 quid so that's probably my best profit although when I sell I, I brought a goal 2006 world cup um, cards box I bought it sealed about a month and a half ago for 110 quid and the last one that sold on eBay is $2,500 so that will be my biggest sale and my most profit on one item when I finally get around to selling that I also think on profit percentage maybe I've brought a, I've brought a few things for like a couple of quid that have gone for like 100 150 and I brought a 
some Predators from the car boot sale. I think they're called Predator Supernovas. Paid three quid, and they sell for a lot, 140 quid. So that's probably a pretty good percentage of profit on that, but I can't be bothered to work it out. So yeah, they're my greatest profits on items. And then someone said, if you weren't full-time reselling, what would you have done? Um, Well, I was working at a warehouse with my dad, just picking and packing shoes, but I can't imagine I would have stayed there for my life. I always had in my mind that I wanted to start my own business, but I never knew what I wanted to do. And I wasn't that I wasn't that confident, to be honest. So I don't know if I would have ever started it. I want to think I would have done something with my life. But I don't know, to be honest. Literally, I had no plans after school. I was literally just... I went to work in that warehouse and I just kept doing that until I found reselling. And I just gave that a go for like six months and then went full time. So what would I have done? I did have a plan to go to Australia to work with my uncle when I was 16. But that never really happened. And I always did plan to do that in the future. But just never really materialised. And I'm kind of happy about that because I wouldn't be reselling now. And I wouldn't have met everyone who I've met through the reselling. I met some of my best mates through reselling. And it's like it's really opened up the world to me. I also look at items differently. I could be walking down a Tesco and see... And I'll just scan some biscuits and find out they're going for like eight quid on Amazon and they're a pound to buy. It's just little things like that where I see profit in items that other people are like, yeah, I'll just get that every day, buy it for a quid and eat it. But really some items you can buy for a quid that everyone else is buying and then sell them on for like five, six times your money after fees. So it just it's opened up my mind, it's opened up my life and it's just it's really just done me the world of good. And to be honest, yeah, I was just a really quiet person before before I um, started to reselling. And when I first got in the reselling, I wasn't confident. I wouldn't pick up the phone to anyone. I wouldn't like, I just wouldn't chat to anyone about what I'm doing. If I was in a charity shop scanning stuff, I'd just make up like that I was sending a picture to my mate. But then I went to a charity shop, which was around, I don't know how far that was from me. Must have been about 20 minutes away. And they had a load of board games. So I was just scanning the board games and the manager came out and he's like, what are you doing? And I just thought, fuck it, I'm just going to tell him. I was like, I'm just scanning them and seeing how much they go for on Amazon. And he was like, all right, um, right, we've got loads out of the back if you want to come out and scan. So I was like, yes, I'm 100% down for that. And that became one of the best contacts I've ever made. And I used to go there every weekend on Saturday. I'd go to a car boot sale at half six in the morning finish the car boots out like nine half nine and go straight there so i would have already have a boot full from the car boot sale and then i'd go to the um charity shop and the the profit i'd make from that charity shop would be disgusting i'd give him whatever he asked for for it but i'd just be buying it in bulk i'd be spending like five six hundred quid every weekend with him so they were happy getting the money in and i'd make my money on what i brought so i wasn't taking advantage or anything i'd obviously just pay what he wanted for it but obviously I had better knowledge than them. So you've always got to use your knowledge. And if you haven't got any in reselling, just build it up. Spend the evening searching sold listings for CDs, for DVDs, for games, for like Polly Pocket stuff. Just to build up your knowledge in what stuff goes for. And then when you see it, you'll be like, yeah, that's a great buy. Yeah, so that contact went on for like two, three years. And it's just ended due to COVID because he had to quit his job. Well, he got made redundant. So... That contacts out the window, but I'm sure I'll make some more in the future. Anyway, I went off in a bit of a tangent then. 
Next one is, what was the first big thing you brought from Race Hill and like what I consider a treat? To be honest, I don't actually treat myself much because obviously as a business, I think the more I take out of the business, the more like the slower it's going to um, build up. But I do buy myself a fair amount of trainers. Not like I brought one pair of Jordans, but I wear like multicolored shoes. Like I don't really go for like just black shoes or anything like that. So my favorite pair of trainers is called Nike Bonafide, and they look like kind of like the Balenciaga sock ones. But I've got them in like six or seven different colors. So that was a bit of a treat. But I'd say maybe the biggest treat I've been able to do is. Not this this Christmas, but the Christmas before, I was able to buy my dad a nice watch for Christmas through the reselling money. So that's probably the best thing I've been able to buy and the most expensive thing I've been able to buy through the reselling. It wasn't worth thousands, but it was a really nice watch and I'm pretty sure he enjoyed it. Next question. What made you start collecting sports cards? Um, Well, I love football, to be honest. I love Newcastle and I started watching guy i mentioned in the previous episode called sports cards uk and i saw he was collecting the rookie cards or stickers which are the first sticker or card that a player's ever had so i decided i was going to jump into that but anyway if you want to know about any more like that i said that in a previous episode don't think i need to go over it again but yeah i don't actually really collect them i think of it as more of an investment as like when i first started i started going in on the stickers but that was all for investment for the future. I've sent 57 stickers slash cards off to PSA. And when I get them back, I'm just going to sell them. I've kind of done it more for the monetary potential, which obviously people in the hobby don't like to hear. But I'll collect the Newcastle players and I'll make money on all the others. That's just what my job is. I'm a reseller. So if I see another potential to make money, I'm going to do it. What's a good way to... Oh, sorry. The next question is, what's a good way to start the football cards hobby? Uh, I'd say just look for the players you like. Say you support Newcastle like I do. Look at the Impeccables and the Immaculates because a team like Newcastle, they're not as expensive. If you support Crystal Palace, they'll probably be cheap as well. But if you support like the Arsenals and Man United and Man Cities, that's when the price goes up. But I'd say... If you are looking to invest, look at the rookie cards of some players you like. Like, I wouldn't go for like the Henri's and that because they're already thousands. But there is always some rookie cards that people haven't looked at. So I'd say definitely do that. But the main thing is just collect what you like. If you if you're into match attacks, collect them. I don't personally like match attacks or adrenaline because I don't see the profit potential in the future. But if that's what you like, collect it. If you like hand signed autograph cards collect them it's like anything just collect what you like and i'm sure someone else if you find it cool someone else will find it cool and you'll find someone you can chat about it with on instagram or on facebook i don't know twitter maybe i don't use twitter but i'm sure you could do that but yeah so just collect what you like find some rookies you want to invest in if that's the way you want to go and then just go from there uh, next question, what cards have you invested in recently? I brought some Euro 2020 cards, some Sancho's, and um, I've been buying sealed boxes more. So I brought a 2018 World Cup sticker box, because you can get the Mbappe um, rookie World Cup sticker. I think that'll be a good one for the future. I brought the 2004 um, Euros box, 
because you can get the Ronaldo first tournament sticker. I'm obviously not going to open any of these. That one cost me 250 quid and the Euro box was 50 quid. But I'm just going to put them away and hopefully they'll go up in the future. So I'm more investing in boxes at the moment. I also brought, I believe, a Champions League box yesterday. I can't remember which one it is. And I've also brought a 2006 World Cup sticker box. I paid 184 and it's already gone up to 250-ish. So yeah, I've just been more invested in sealed boxes and sealed packs. Because I think that's where the money is in the future. Obviously the rookies is good as well. But I just think the boxes are a safe bet. What's the biggest mistake you see beginners make? And how can they try to avoid it? Biggest mistake I see is people rushing in too quick. They'll see like they'll watch someone's video of them going to a charity shop and picking up some t-shirts. So say they'll see them pick up a Nike t-shirt. They'll rush to a charity shop and buy it without researching it. Then they'll get it home and they'll see it's worth like a fiver. But they'll think, oh, I saw some bloke pick up a Nike t-shirt and he sold it for 50 quid. But that's because it's a special edition. You need to be in the shops, especially when you're first starting. Look up every single item on your phone. And the more you look stuff up, the more you'll get into your head, oh, I know that's not worth anything. Oh, I know that item's worth picking up. It's just about building your knowledge. You can't just rush into it and know everything. Like when I first started, I'd be literally scanning items in front of people at a car boot sale and at charity shops. People might get shitty, but who cares? You're there to make money, so you shouldn't really worry about that. So yeah, just that's the biggest thing, just rushing in and just buying shit items when they think they're going to be good. Like, I buy a lot of sealed board games and people might see that and think, oh, I've seen loads of sealed board games and pick them up. But you'll get a moment, they might be worth like five quid. And after fees, you're not getting anything for that if you're paying a couple of quid for it. So obviously, like I just said, just look everything up at the start, build up the knowledge and then you can go in once you've got the knowledge and buy stuff without looking it up. And also the other mistake is people wanting success too quick. Like they'll see someone, so say they'll see what I'm doing and like my numbers are alright, I'm not like flexing them or anything, but I do quite good at the reselling and they'll start and they'll want their numbers straight away. But the thing is, I've had to start, when I first started, I said in the first episode, I failed, I had to get bailed out. It doesn't happen overnight. You're not going to just watch a video and then all of a sudden be like amazing at it. I'm not saying I'm amazing, but you know what I mean. But yeah, you're not going to, you just need to start slow and build up the knowledge. It's all about knowledge and I keep saying it, but the more knowledge you have, the more money you're going to make. Next question. What pisses you off the most about reselling? I don't really get pissed off about reselling much, to be honest, because I absolutely love it. I'd say the one thing that probably pisses me off is scammers, people who try and scam you on eBay. So I had it once, I brought a it's called Olympus Mew 2 camera. The resellers will know what I'm on about. It's just a film camera, a high-quality film camera. I brought it on eBay for, I think, 10, 15 quid because it was on a shit listing, and I sold it back on eBay for 90 quid. And I sent it to the bloke. It's fully working. Then I got a return pop-up saying, oh, this has completely stopped working. Can I return it? So I was like, okay, fair enough. I might have not tested it right or something. So I got the return back, and it was a different camera. It was the same type of camera, but I could tell it wasn't the one I sent out. It had the top button missing and inside that each camera's got a serial number. And I'd taken a picture of that in the first picture in the one I'd originally sold. One I got back was a different serial number. So it was a completely different camera. He'd literally ordered it, 
switched out and sent it back, which is just a piss take. So I st- opened up a case with with eBay, and they didn't want to refund me. They were like, nah, it's... they were just on the buyer's side. So I had to just keep at it and keep at it for like a week. I was posting on my Instagram. People were giving me support. It's always nice. The reselling community is amazing. If you want to get involved in it, just search like hashtag UK resellers or UK reseller community. And everyone's like lovely. Learn a lot from them as well. Build your knowledge, like I keep saying. But yeah, they sent me that back. And I, after a week, I finally got my money back from eBay, although they didn't want to help me out at all. So you just have to... It's once in a blue moon it happens, but it's just annoying when it does happen because it just ruins your, your day. But in the end, you will get your money back. And hopefully something happens. <laughs> I, mean, I don't want them to die or anything, but hopefully they get banned in the future or something like that if they do it too many times. So that's what annoys me. I get a lot on Amazon as well. People buying stuff and just sending it back like three months later when they've done with it. It's annoying, but it's just part of the game. 99, well, probably 95% of buyers are lovely, but you'll get the 5% that are dickheads. It's just how it goes. Next one is people say, people say, the next question is, would you rather invest in a legend or a young talent like Foden? I'd say depending on price, but I would mainly go, I've I've mainly brought legends like the Shearers, the Beckhams, who else have I brought? Uh, Gareth Bale, because he's developed Messi, Ronaldo. If you can afford them players, I'd go for them. Although I have brought a box where you can get Foden in it. No, not Foden, sorry. A box you can get Hartland in it. Because I just thought I brought it for 110 quid and it's already gone up to being worth like 500 quid now. So that was a good buy. But yeah, I'd say go for the legends unless you can get the rookies that are young talents at the moment that you believe in. Sorry about that voice crack. Are the ones that you believe in at the moment. If you can get them cheap enough, I'd invest in them. But I wouldn't put all your eggs in one basket. And if you do fully believe in someone, just yeah, just go just go carefully with him. Like I, I haven't really who have I invested in? Literally just that Harlan box, I think. I haven't really gone for many rookies. I did buy some Foden's off of someone else, but let's not talk about that because that was a shit transaction. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I haven't actually received them yet. But yeah, so um I'd say go for the legends. Do some research. Find like the older legends because some a lot of them have, a lot of them have been like you've been priced out of market because their rookies are so expensive. But someone like Shearer, you can pick one of his up probably in good condition for thirty or forty quid. It's a pro set nineteen ninety. If you want to have a look at it, go for it. But yeah, I'd say mate, I didn't. I'd recommend going for legends. But then the next question is, how do you find amazing deals like the Harland nineteen twenty box? I know I keep saying it, but it's just research. It's hours of research. Like, I saw that bulk box when it was available at £110. There was shitloads of them available as well. And I thought, you get the sticker in it. Here's rookie sticker. I'm never going to open it. But I thought, you get his rookie sticker in it. And if that gets a PSA 10, even back then, that was worth five, 600 quid. Maybe 700 something like that. So I thought... 110 quid to potentially get 700 quid although PSA 10 so hard to get I'm not going to be the one that opens it so I thought that'd be a great buy so I ordered one and I literally just when I got it through it'd gone up like 10 quid and I was gonna like whack it up for 200 quid and just wait for the price to go up 
But I decided I'll just put it in my cupboard, wait for it to go up a bit. And in the last week, I've just been checking it. And it's just like five times the price now. So it's crazy. But there's another thing you can research like PSA prices. If you search PSA population report and see how many of a sticker or a card have been graded. So like, say you choose the Euro 2004 box. It's 200 quid, yeah. But you can get the Ronaldo rookie sticker from the um, Euros in it. And if that gets a PSA 10, that's like a 1500 quid card sticker. So it's like you've got to weigh up the potential. Drop, Spend 200 quid. Potentially the box will go up in price. It's not going to go down from that price. And even if you did decide to open it, you're not guaranteed to get Ronaldo. But it's for like, I only buy boxes that I'm not going to open. You'll buy it and then the customer in the future will think they'll get a Ronaldo in it and they'll buy it for, I'm going to say this one will go up to like five, six hundred quid. And then hopefully even the upside's big for them because they could potentially get a sticker worth 14, 1500 quid. So yeah, that's how I find my box deals. I just do lots and lots of research. Look at what rookies you can get in them. Look at the prices of the rookies in the population. So say like, a Champions League box, you can get, I don't know, a Wijnaldum rookie sticker in it. I don't know if you can get that. But if you look on the population, it's only been graded like 20 times. I can guarantee there's more than 20 people that want his rookie sticker, especially graded. So that would be a good box to buy, even just to open and then you send off the sticker. But even just to invest in, because it will build hype around it at some point, and then you can sell it for future profit so i hope that answered your question next one is have you ever hit a big low before and how did you bounce back i have hit a a big low just before christmas well around september i was definitely my lowest i'd broken up with my girlfriend and i just didn't want to get out of bed at all like the sales weren't going well for me and i was just i literally just laying in bed all the time 24-7, 24-7, just, I just, I, I'm not, no, I did still want to be here, but it's just like, I just wanted time to pass on me. Like, I just wanted to feel better again. So I went through that and, oh, and how did I bounce back? The way I bounced back is I laid in my bed for probably three weeks, obviously getting up every now and then. But I just spoke to my mates, to be honest. Like I've got some close friends who I talk about it with out for drives with them and would talk through and just talk about business and potential for the future and that's how I got through it I just the business got me through it and also the sports cards because I started looking at them back then didn't start buying but I started researching god that's the that's the um word of the podcast in it research but yeah so sports cards and reselling and my mates got me through it and family obviously but yeah just talking to people about what I want to do in the future and the potential for the business. I just think is if if you surround yourself with people who like who want to see you do good, that's the main thing. They'll always build like build you up. And it when whenever you're feeling down, just talk to someone. Like even if it's just to chat shit about football or something. It'll take your mind off what you're thinking about. If you're having bad sales, just talk to someone. They might be able to give you some tips on how to up your sales. And just whenever you're feeling down, just chat to someone. Um, What else? Next one. What's your workflow for online arbitrage? Uh, 
So online arbitrage is when you're buying items online to, to flip back online. So you're buying stuff from Homebase and flip it on eBay or, I don't know, Smith's Toys and flip it on eBay or Amazon. So online arbitrage is also what I do. I buy stuff from eBay and put onto Amazon. So my workflow for that is either I'll look for shit listings or I'll literally, well, this is the main one I do. I go through my sales on Amazon, what I've sold in the past two or three years, and I'll literally just search that item, search how much it's going for on Amazon now, and then search on eBay, see if I can get it cheaper. And literally rinse and repeat, and then you'll get it stuck in your mind. And when it sells on Amazon, you just buy it again off eBay. It sounds easy, but obviously you have to build up your knowledge again. <laughs> just keep saying knowledge. But yeah, you literally just do that. And also I have refined my searches over the years and I have like spreadsheets full of searches I can click and they bring up a couple of deals like every search. So it's it's just about spending time refining your searches and spending time building up your knowledge like I keep saying. <laughs> and if obviously if any actual Amazon sellers are listening to this, which I'm hopefully you are, just literally go through your inventory or or your sales and go back a year and just search for the items you've sold and you'll probably be able to find them cheaper on eBay and make some good money on it. I hope that helps everyone. I obviously can't give away everything I'm looking for or I can't give away my searches because then I wouldn't be able to find the deals. But I'm just pointing you in the right direction. I'm not going to like drip feed you, but I'll point you in the right direction. So that's actually all the questions I've got asked. It's been around half an hour now. But I just wanted to talk about kind of when you're getting started. When you're getting started with eBay, I mean. When you're getting started with eBay, the sales are really slow. Unless you're listing stuff for the cheapest, which I always think is a good idea when you first start. Get the cash flow going. But the top secret for eBay is list. If you just list every day... If you manage to buy some bundles and just list 10, 15 items a day, you're you're going to sell stuff. It's just the eBay algorithm. I don't know how it works, but I know that the more you list, the more you sell. For example, like over the last week or two, I haven't really listed at all. I've just been focusing on the football cards and like investing in them. And my sales had been like two items a day on eBay. Amazon had still been good because I'd still been sending stuff in, but eBay had pretty much died a death. And then starting on Thursday, I started listing 30 items a day. And over the weekend, my sales on Monday had around 40 to package or it might have been 30. So it just shows that the more you list, the more, you, more you're going to sell. It's just how it goes. So I just wanted to add that on the end. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I've really enjoyed answering some of your questions. I'll do another one of these soon. I'm not sure what I'm going to talk about in the next episode, but... I'll try to get that one out actually within a week. I seem to post one up and then not drop one for another like almost two weeks, which I'm sorry about that. But thank you everyone who's been listening to the podcast and everyone who's been sending me messages saying they've loved it. Or just even if even if you start in, you don't listen to it all, it just means the world to me. So if you want to contact me at all, my Instagram is at clickright, C-L-I-C-K-W-R-I-G-H-T. If you want to chat at all, message me on there and I will speak to you in the next episode. Thanks, guys.